Hi, I'm Linda Calabresi. I'm a GP and the medical editor of HealthEd. Welcome to our unique podcast series now available direct to your device. The series features some of Australia's leading clinical experts talking on topics that are both practical and important to Australian GPs. Good day everyone. I'm going to talk today about shingles uh, immunisation of uh, immune compromised patients which patients qualify. I'm Tony Cunningham from the Centre for Virus Research at the Westmead Institute, Sydney Infectious Diseases and the University of Sydney. And it's important to understand that there are three grades of immune compromise, mild, moderate and severe. The risk of herpes zoster only markedly increases in the severe group compared to immunocompetent patients Live attenuated uh, herpes zoster vaccine is contraindicated in severe and moderate groups uh, and really the evidence base for the use of the recombinant zoster vaccine is only there so far in the severe group. So we have to, to some extent, extrapolate with the mild group, uh, uh, they're most similar to immune competent patients and that'll become obvious in the course of this lecture. So in immune compromised patients, the complications are a more severe pain, uh, prolonged healing compared to zoster in immune competence, higher incidence of prolonged pain and uh, post-hepatic neuralgia, involvement of multiple dermatomes, particularly uh, when we had uh, a high incidence of AIDS, cutaneous dissemination, and visceral dissemination to brain, liver and lung, resulting in encephalitis, hepatitis and pneumonitis, which is relatively rare. And this just shows you the analysis from uh, placebo recipients of three control trials I've been involved in, in uh, 50 year old, more than 50-year-olds, more than 70-year-olds, and stem cell recipients, which are um, the most um, uh, immunocompromised uh, group of patients. And you can see that uh, the yellow line shows the stem cell transplant recipients and they clearly have a higher incidence of pain at all stages, including at 90 days, which is the uh, marker for post-hepatic neuralgia. Any pain beyond 90 days is indicative of post-hepatic neuralgia. So you can see there is a higher incidence of post-hepatic neuralgia in severely immune compromised uh, patients. This is an example of uh, severe zoster extending beyond the primary dermatome and uh, resulting in severe ulceration in an immune compromised uh, person. And uh, the risk of herpes zoster in severely immune compromised uh, subjects uh, is uh, graded according to these uh, major categories, five of them, and they're the ones in which uh, the vaccine trialing has occurred. So if we look at the stem cell transplant, autologous hemopoietic stem cell transplant, the incidence per thousand person years of herpes zoster is 43 to 94, in hematologic malignancy 31, especially myeloma, 
in solid organ transplant 17 to 32, in solid organ malignancy plus chemotherapy, and chemotherapy is the critical component of this 14. In HIV these days with antiretroviral therapy and, uh, uh, and CD4 counts well above 206, uh, but 32 in the days when we had uh, no antiretroviral therapy or poor antiretroviral therapy and low CD4 counts, and that contrasts with the general population of uh, 4.8. So you can see that uh, stem cell transplants have a 10 to 20-fold increased incidence of herpes zoster over the general population. And uh, the, uh, what is contained within these categories of severe immune compromise? Well, within the group of hematologic malignancy, Hodgkin's lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, myeloma, chronic lymphatic leukemia, and people receiving stem cell transplants, autologous stem cell transplants, pretty much the same with the addition of acute myeloid leukemia. Solid tumors receiving chemotherapy, too many to mention. Uh, those receiving solid organ transplantation, heart, lung are more immune compromised than the liver and kidney in that order. And I mentioned already uh, the HIV patients, whether the CD4 count is less or greater than 200. Now, when we turn to the recombinant zoster vaccine, and I'm going to focus on that because that's the way of the future, you can see here that the recombinant zoster vaccine has two components. It has uh, uh, a, uh, uh, the viral protein component, which is derived from the uh, uh, spike protein. You may remember all those pictures of uh, the coronavirus. Uh, similarly, um, varicella zoster virus has several spike proteins, but it's glycoprotein E, which is the important one in terms of the replication of the virus and as a target for protective or neutralizing antibody and for T cells. So we take this protein out produced by recombinant means, but when you do that, you lose the immunostimulatory components of the rest of the virus, uh, lipids and nucleic acid. So we not only have to put them back, but we have to put them back uh, in excess, if you like, and get good immunostimulation by two components of these adjuvants or immunostimulants wrapped up in a little uh, liposome. There is MPL, firstly, from the bacterial cell wall, which is a TLR4 agonist, and QS21, the most potent of the two, from uh, the bark of a South American tree, which has the initials QS. That's where it comes from. And uh, the, this adjuvant system is the key to this. It raises the immunogenicity in immune-competent patients from 10 to 90% of people responding well. And it works as shown in the left-hand panel. After injection into the muscle, the uh, both components of the vaccine flow into the draining lymph nodes in the armpit, the auxiliary lymph nodes, and then there is a cascade of immune events which results 
in the production of T cells, which uh, then circulate, and antibody, which circulates. And you can see in the right panel that this leads to a marked increase in the immune response uh, and a broadening and a, a greater durability of the immune response, such that um, the latest figures on Shingrix show uh, that it's 85% uh, efficacious out to um, seven years, and the 10-year uh, figures are coming in soon, and the modelling suggests it may last as long as 15 to 20 years. So it's an extraordinarily effective vaccine, as also shown by community real-life studies. Now, the vaccine has been trialled in these five groups of severely immune-compromised uh, uh, patients, as I showed you, and in uh, order across the top, they're HIV, autologous uh, hemopoietic uh, stem cell transplant, hematologic malignancies, renal transplants, and solid tumours. And note that the two malignancy groups are receiving immunosuppressive chemotherapy, which is uh, critical. And you can see that uh, with the uh, middle two, stem cell transplants and hematologic malignancies, uh, the trials were uh, larger and also powered to look at uh, and designed to look at efficacy as well as immunogenicity and safety. The other trials for HIV, renal transplants and solid tumours were mainly powered to look at uh, immunogenicity and safety. And so we've really only got good figures published so far for the middle two on efficacy. Uh, in all cases now, uh, we still use two doses of the vaccine, uh, usually two months apart, but that can be shortened to one or lengthened to a six-month uh, interval. And uh, the types of immunogenicity we're looking at is antibody and T-cell responses. And here are the results of the trials. And you can see that in those with hematologic malignancy, the uh, antibody response was pretty good, 60% of people responding uh, well, 84% responding well with T-cell counts, and a really good vaccine efficacy of 87%. Uh, post-hepatic neuralgia not uh, really studied. The next group, the stem cell uh, transplant group, the most severely immune-compromised group, uh, shows also good results, 71% for antibody, 89% for T-cells, 68% efficacy, which is the critical figure, uh, as well as 89% protection against post-hepatic neuralgia. And that's been the uh, most important trial, showing that this vaccine really does work about, against the most severely immune-compromised people. And, of course, it's safe because it's not live and there's no risk of dissemination as would occur with a live attenuated uh, viral vaccine. Next is solid tumours, again 92% uh, antibody but lower T-cell responses. And I'll show you why in just a moment, no efficacy uh, data yet. In those receiving solid organ transplants, uh, good antibody responses, good T-cell responses and we've lately seen uh, some unpublished figures which look 
as good as autologous transplants, about 68% efficacy. With HIV, uh, excellent responses, as you would expect in people treated with antiretroviral therapy, and they can almost be regarded as uh, immunocompetent after uh, their CD4 counts have returned to near normal. Now, this is uh, the detail for hematologic malignancies, and the uh, vaccine has been used either during chemotherapy, although a 10-day window uh, before treatment was uh, uh, mandated or after chemotherapy and the first days uh, mandated to be 10 days to six months after the vaccine. Again, two doses and then a median follow-up period of 11 months. As I mentioned, 87% uh, efficacy, which is uh, uh, great. And then we look at the stem cell group. Uh, this, uh, in this group, they were not immunized until 50 to 70 days, nearly two months after uh, the uh, transplant, which means that there is a gap between immunization and transplantation. And in that gap, one has to continue antiviral therapy with, say, valacyclovir or famcyclovir to ensure that the risk of herpes zoster is mitigated up until about a month after the second dose. That's recommended by CDC, but not yet in the Australian recommendation. So please note that. And as shown by uh, age group, uh, those overall aged over 18 years, as I mentioned before, 68% efficacy, uh, a little more in the younger age group up to the age of 50, and a little less in the group aged over 50, and then on the right-hand panels, uh, post-hepatic neuralgia, 89% efficacious, other complications, 78%, uh, and uh, hospitalizations, 85%. So very satisfactory responses overall in hematologic malignancies. Now, what about immunogenicity? Well, the immunogenicity uh, in, uh, in terms of T cells is very good. Uh, and it shows you, comparing the orange with the uh, blue bars, that there is a marked increase in T cell responses in all categories uh, um, in, uh, in terms of uh, uh, stem cell transplant on the left, then hematologic malignancies, uh, the uh, renal transplant, the solid tumors slightly less, which is again the effect of chemotherapy. So chemotherapy really does uh, knock around the uh, efficacy of the vaccine, and so one needs to use the vaccine before uh, chemotherapy starts or, or after it finishes. The antibody levels were also very good, as shown in the blue bars compared to orange. Uh, so, again, a marked and significant increase in antibody levels in all of these four groups of immune-compromised people. Now, what about the adverse reactions? And you may remember that in immune-competent people, Shingrix is quite a reactogenic vaccine. It causes um, uh, a high proportion of people to have both local uh, uh, symptoms in the arm, usually pain is the most frequent, or systemic symptoms of fatigue, uh, uh, a bit of fever, and uh, myalgia. And we grade these uh, 
so that the most severe forms that impair daily living are called grade 3 and they're shown in the hatched uh, bars at the base of the blue columns. And you can see that the uh, local reactogenicity dominated by pain in the, uh, the arm is uh, just a bit above what we see in immune competent people. Uh, the grade 3 responses are about the same as immu in immune competent people and the black bars show placebo. Now you see something surprising when we look at uh, general reactogenicity and uh, you can see here that the blue bars are uh, the Shingrix or recombinant zoster vaccine, the black bars are the placebos, and it's the placebos that have almost the same level of general uh, reactogenicity, as I mentioned before, fatigue and myalgia. That's not surprising when you consider the underlying disease. So, uh, uh, but it's certainly true that there's a slightly higher level of grade 3 reactogenicity as shown in the hatched bars on the right-hand side with solid tumours. So you're going to be faced with patients complaining of uh, reactogenicity and the usual way I handle that is to say it's going to, uh, only going to take two to three days. We usually say no pain, no gain. It's not quite true because people who don't get reactogenicity still get very good immune responses as we showed just recently. So uh, how can we use this data? And this is the only data we've got in immune compromised people to make recommendations. Well, clearly in this group, uh, of severely immune compromised people, you cannot use the live attenuated vaccine. You can only use Shingrix and uh, the specialists in this area, such as hematologists and oncologists, are crying out for a vaccine uh, which is more effective and single dose rather than continuing antivirals for uh, a long time over a year. So it's very clear that with severe immune compromise in all of these categories, stem cell transplantation, organ transplantation, hematologic malignancies, solid tumors, the one I didn't mention before, high-dose corticosteroid therapy, and uh, the uh, symptomatic HIV infection with low CD4 counts, you can use recombinant zoster vaccine, and that's now recommended in Australia for people over the age of 18. But what about the moderate group? And the moderate and mild groups are really dominated by immunosuppressive therapy. And these uh, immunosuppressive therapies are really congregated together under disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, or DMARDs, and the moderate group are TNF inhibitors, JAK inhibitors, and T-cell inhibitors such as cyclosporin. And really, it's not uh, a good idea to use the live attenuated vaccine here. One needs to use recombinant zoster vaccine in this group. We're still waiting on an evidence base for this, and there are trials going on around the world. The mild group uh, with who are taking hydroxychloroquine, sulfasalazine, low-dose corticosteroids, azathioprine, and methotrexate are close to immunocompetent patients, and I would still use recombinant zoster vaccine in this group, despite the fact that it's probably safe 
to use uh, Zostavax, but no good data as yet. So let's summarise. In uh, adults aged 18 to 40, 49 years who are immunodeficient or immunosuppressed due to disease or therapy, the safety profile was consistent with that observed in adults more than 50 years, which is great news. So recombinant zoster vaccine is safe in these people, but the live attenuated vaccine is not. The incidence of pain at the injection site, fatigue, myalgia, headache, shivering and fever was higher in immune compromised adults aged 18 to 49 years compared to those uh, aged more than 50 years. And, and that's generally true, uh, that reactogenicity tails off at older age groups and you need to warn your patients uh, that they might uh, suffer uh, pain at the injection site and general symptoms, but they'll wear off within two to three days and you can use uh, Panadol or other uh, ways of ameliorating that. Now, what are the questions and future research required? Well, I think I alluded to these during the talk. Phase three trials in subjects with solid organ transplants and malignancies need to be completed to determine efficacy. We need to look at a longer duration of studies of efficacy in immune compromised patients than 12 to 21 months. We need real life effectiveness studies which have been very useful in immune competent patients to confirm uh, the uh, results in more selective randomised controlled trials. And the efficacy and safety of the recombinant zoster vaccine receiving immunosuppressive agents for autoimmune diseases, particularly that middle group uh, of moderate immune compromise needs to be uh, studied and is being around the world and we'll see the results of those trials relatively soon. To remind you that around the world the recommendations for recombinant zoster vaccine vary. In the US it's the only vaccine now available and in blue and in blue in European countries you can see that there are a number of countries that have followed suit, only recombinant zoster vaccine. In Canada and Australia, recombinant zoster vaccine is recommended in preference to the live attenuated uh, vaccine and our recommendations are now similar to those of the USA, adults more than 50 years who are uh, immune competent and immune compromised adults uh, 18 to 50 in Australia we put that by saying these are people at special uh, risk. Uh, so um, the, uh, uh, this is an ongoing story and it's worthwhile following up, but I hope these, uh, um, uh, this presentation has been useful to you in your practice. You may need to look back at the detail of my presentation to ensure that um, you've got the categories of severe, moderate and mild and their various constituents uh, in your heads. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. We hope you are enjoying this series and will recommend it to your friends and colleagues. I'm Linda Calabresi and on behalf of the team here at HealthEd, I look forward to joining you soon for our next podcast.
If you enjoyed this audio segment, you can find out more about our free webcast lectures, which can be accessed from any device on our website at healthed.com.au. The podcasts published on this page are for medical professionals only. The content is not a substitute for medical advice. If you have a health issue, you should seek the advice of a suitable qualified health professional.